Welcome to Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee, a podcast brought to you by the Tennessee Initiative for Perinatal Quality Care. TIPQC exists to improve health outcomes for mothers and infants in Tennessee through our quality collaborative that will identify opportunities to optimize maternal and infant outcomes across our state and is funded under a grant contract with the state of Tennessee. The Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee podcast is designed for medical professionals and for patients and families across the state. We will focus on all aspects of the perinatal period with special attention to reducing our maternal mortality rate. This podcast is brought to you through a cooperative agreement with the Alliance for Innovation on Maternal Health. Welcome back to this week's episode of Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee. I'm your host, Amanda Nally. Don't forget registration for our 2021 annual meeting is now open through the end of February. Space is limited, so we encourage you to register early. Head over to www.tipqc.org, that's T-I-P-Q-C.org, to ensure you're able to join us March 2nd through 4th. This episode, Dr. Anna Murad, the TIPQC Infant Medical Director, is joined by April Kincaid from the Tennessee Department of Health. They take a look at the most recent data on sleep-related deaths and the programs we have in Tennessee to share safe sleep practices with families and caregivers. Let's listen in. Thank you, April, for being here with us today. This is April Kincaid, and she is the MPH from Tennessee Department of Health. April, welcome. Can you tell us a little bit about your job at the Tennessee Department of Health? Yes, thank you for having me. I am the program director for our child fatality review and infant mortality reduction programs. So I oversee uh, 34 teams in the state that review all child deaths and all of our infant mortality reduction strategies, including infant safe sleep. How long has the Department of Health been tracking infant deaths from unsafe sleep? So for the infant sleep-related deaths, uh, child fatality started in Tennessee in 1995, and they review all child deaths. So that does include our infant sleep-related deaths. And in 2014, the Tennessee Department of Health received a grant from the CDC to have a further look at all sudden death in the young and sudden unexpected infant deaths. And it's a cohort of around 250 of 900 deaths within the state. And so with looking at those Uh, sudden unexpected infant deaths, which include the sleep-related deaths. We have a staff member on hand that collects medical records and looks at the data to make sure we have comprehensive and accurate data on all of those deaths. And they are also taken to advanced review teams in Memphis and Nashville that include a neonatologist, a pediatric cardiologist, a pediatric neurologist, a medical examiner, and geneticist. And they look at these deaths and further classify them, looking specifically at cardiac and neurological, along with the factors with the sleep-related deaths. And I understand we have some data that just came out. Do you want to talk a little bit about that and how it looks compared to previous years? Yes. Um, So just this month, we have released our 2019-year cohort for child fatality. And looking at that, we had 103 infant sleep-related deaths. So these are infants that died in some type of sleep environment with no other medical factors that were involved. And just to compare what that looks like for previous years, in 2018, we had 128 deaths, and in 2017, we had 144. So this past year, we've had a good decrease in infant sleep-related deaths. Excellent. So we're moving in the right direction. Yes. (laughs) That's good news. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about the scenarios uh, that are commonly reported for the unsafe sleep-related deaths? Yes. 
so in addition to just tracking the deaths themselves, we do track all of the uh, all of the situations around these deaths, including how the infant was placed to sleep and how they were found and what they were found with in their sleep environment. So our leading factor with these sleep-related deaths include unsafe bedding. And this can be a loose blanket in the bed, a pillow um, placed with a stuffed animal. We've seen things like clothing and anything extra that we place in the sleep environment. The second leading factor is the infant not being found in a crib or bassinet. This often includes an adult bed, um, a couch, and a chair. More often we see couches and chairs being one of the highest in that category. Next, followed up with sleeping with other people. This includes parents and siblings. And then the fourth leading factor is an infant not sleeping on their back. And I will add that these are not mutually exclusive. So the infant that is found in these environments often has one or more of these factors. Right. And I think those are the things that we need to concentrate on mitigating all of them. Don't have those in isolation for sure. Um, Can you talk a little bit about the sleep landscape across the state and what types of disparities you see when you're looking at the infant mortality data? Yes. So we definitely see a huge disparity by race and infant sleep-related deaths. And typically, up until year uh, 2019, uh, Black infants died at a rate twice that of white infants. Um, So, for example, in 2018, the rate was 1.4 per 1,000 infants for white and then 2.5 for Black infants when the overall rate was 1.6. But in 2019, our rate for white infants was 0.8. However, the rate for Black infants increased to 3.0, meaning that Black infants in 2019 died at a rate more than three times that of white infants. So even though we made improvements in the overall number, the disparity actually increased. That's correct. Are there things that the health department is doing to address that? Yes, we are looking at the audiences that we're reaching. We have developed materials to reach our faith-based communities We have conducted focus groups with different communities with women of color to ask about resources they know about or resources they need in order to practice safe sleep. We have been working with families that are at high risk with our evidence-based home visiting programs and our care coordination programs to ask them what materials or what items helped cause them change the way that they place their babies to sleep. So we're really working with the community to figure out what those gaps are and how we can work on that disparity. Are there some things that you are already finding to be more effective than others? Yes. Actually, one of our most recent projects is working with a diaper bag project, which includes a diaper bag that has a safe sleep message on it, along with uh, several of our materials, including a door hanger, a two infant sleep sacks, a onesie, a calm baby gently book, which talks to parents about if they're feeling overwhelmed with baby and what they can do to help. And it's just a short story that they can also read to their baby and a sleep baby, a safe and snug board book that goes through the ABCs, a safe sleep for alone on the back in the crib. And they are given education along with the diaper bag on the importance of safe sleep. We have educational flip charts that have a script for providers to talk to families and then 
just simple words and pictures for the families to understand what the providers are telling them about safe sleep. And then the families are followed up with, did you change your behavior? And if you change your behavior on how you place your infant to sleep, what caused that behavior change? And as we talked about earlier, unsafe bedding was one of the leading uh, factors for infant safe sleep um, for the sleep-related deaths. We have found that the sleep sacks we've been providing the families um, has been the biggest change where the families have replaced the blankets and the cribs with the sleep sacks. That's wonderful. Are there specific areas that you are targeting with this program? So the program is through our evidence-based home visiting, which reaches families that are at risk. And these might be younger single mothers or women that might have a child that has higher risk or higher needs. And it also works with our care coordination program, which uh, is called CHANT. And they are statewide and they work with women that might be at higher risk, women that just might need a little bit of extra help. And when a family is recognized to be in need, there's a visitor that goes to the home and meets with the family several times to not only discuss safe sleep, but other factors to help um, families. They meet with families to talk to them about their infant, the infant's health and safety and help them with other resources they might need. Gotcha. When you have a family uh, who may not have a safe sleep environment for their child, are there other resources that we can obtain in the community, other places that we should be directing our families to go to? So we have programs where several of our hospitals are certified to work with our local health departments to provide families with pack and plays if they need them before they leave the hospital with their newborn. And then all of our health departments do receive pack and plays to provide the families. A lot of times that's done through our care coordination program. So that way they can see if there's other resources the families need, but it's not exclusive to that. Would you like to tell us a little bit about the Best for Babies Award? Oh, absolutely. So the Best for Babies Award is an annual award that we provide all of the birthing facilities in Tennessee. They each have an opportunity to meet the criteria for that. And the purpose for the award is to address factors that we know influence infant mortality and infant mortality reduction. So BEST stands for breastfeeding, early elective delivery elimination, safe sleep for Tennessee babies. So the criteria involves breastfeeding. So facilities are required to maintain a baby-friendly certification or have an increase of 5% in breastfeeding year over year or have an 82% or higher breastfeeding initiation rate. And that 5% and or an 82% comes from our vital records. So when facilities fill out the birth certificate information, there's a question on there was that is, was the infant ever breastfed? And if that answer is yes, um, we look for that 5% increase for all infants, all Tennessee infants born in that facility and for the increase and for the, or for the 82%. The early elective delivery is, we look for that at 5% or below, and that's data that's reported to the Tennessee Hospital Association. And then for the safe sleep portion of the BEST award, hospitals are required to turn in crib audits to us in the first quarter of the year and the third quarter of the year. And they have to have a minimum of 10 cribs audited per quarter. And that means that these are cribs in the hospital that infants are occupying. 
and the, they have to meet the ABCs of safe sleep. So alone on the back in the crib while the infant is asleep. And they send those numbers to us along with, they either have to send us their policy that explains how they educate families on safe sleep and that there is indeed a policy in place to meet the ABCs of safe sleep in their facility, or they have to be Cribs for Kids certified. And Cribs for Kids is a national organization that provides pack and plays or portable cribs to families across the nation. Um, they, they work in partnerships with agencies such as the Tennessee Department of Health and other agencies in other states to provide free cribs to families that do not have a safe sleep environment. And our hospitals that are gold certified have to have a Cribs for Kids partner, and they're able to do that by partnering just with their local health department to get those Cribs to families. They also have to do some community outreach for safe sleep and use sleep sacks in their facility. Uh, there's a silver certification that involves using the sleep sacks and education to families and having a policy around safe sleep. And then the bronze, which is the very basic level, which all of our facilities in the state meet, involve having a policy around infant safe sleep. Are there some other things that you wish hospitals or medical offices would do to better promote safe sleep? I wouldn't necessarily say wish they could do or wish they would do. I would just add that we offer all of our materials and all of our information free of charge to the facilities and physicians. We have crib cards that the hospitals are free to use. We have flip charts that they can use to educate patients with. We have door hangers and flyers, and we also have other materials like magnets and onesies that we're able to provide if needed. And it's all free of charge to be able to promote that safe sleep message. And how would they go about obtaining those materials? Just email you all? Yeah, so we have um, our website, safesleep.tn.gov, has all of the materials that we provide. There are some additional materials that aren't listed, but they also have the materials in multiple languages. The majority of what we have is in English and Spanish, but online we have additional languages such as Arabic and Swahili. So when they encounter families that don't speak English as their first language, there are opportunities to have that education. At the bottom of the website, for the materials, there is an email that you're able to use to just email those requests to, um, or they can come directly to me. And we know that safe sleep education goes beyond just the parents and the hospital and the medical offices. So talk a little bit about community involvement, workplace involvement, other areas that um, you all do outreach to or that are important for safe sleep education for families. Yes. So we provide, we have several other ed community education programs for our safe sleep. One of them in particular is our DOSE program that involves our first responders along with our housing authorities and our large apartment complexes across the state where we work with the maintenance workers, the first responders, we educate them on safe sleep and we talk to them about how to talk to families. Um, these are people that are trusted in the community. They go into the homes. They might see a crib that's full of clothes and toys and talk to the mother about how removing these stuffed animals that were given out of love uh, might save your baby's life later. Or if there's not a safe place for the baby to sleep at all in the home, we do provide them with portable cribs to be able to provide the families with those. We work with multi-generational caregivers. We've been working with the Department of on Aging and Disability to educate multi-generational caregivers on safe sleep because we find that often in homes, 
it's grandma or great grandma that is helping pr- provide care for that infant. So they also need to know because over over the decades we've collected data on how these infants die and the factors associated with those deaths. And we know that alone on the back in a crib is the safest place to sleep. But when you look at 20 years ago, parents were told to place their baby on their stomach because they sleep deeper. So we, we want to make sure that these older generations, they're helping raise these babies have that information as well. I think that's a very important point. When you're looking at the infant um, sleep-related death data, does it include whose company they were in at the time of the death? Yes. So our database collects thousands of different data points. And a lot of the data points specifically related to the infant sleep-related deaths are priorities. So we look at not only who was the mother and the father for that child, but at the time of the death, who was supervising that child? Was it grandma? Was it babysitter? Were they to daycare? Was it dad and mom was at work for the night? Things like that. So there are also questions around if they had received safe sleep information. So we do look at all of those pieces. And in that same vein, when you're looking at that data, are you collecting breastfeeding rates and tobacco exposure and those types of things? Yes, we do. Um, so we collect breastfeeding rates on based again on if the infant was ever breastfed. And oftentimes we do know at the time of death, if the infant was still being breastfed, we ask what the what was the, what did the infant eat in the last 24 hours? And then for smoke exposure, we collect prenatal information. Again, that comes from the birth certificates typically. And if the mother smoked prior to becoming pregnant and if she smoked during pregnancy. And then we also collect information on if she's currently smoking when that infant passes and if she smokes in the home. We get information on the atmosphere of the home. So if the home did smell of cigarette smoke uh, or tobacco smoke, excuse me, or any other environmental factor such as that in the home. So a lot of information to process, I'm sure. And I do think, you know, hopefully that will help to inform some of the messaging that we give to our families um, as we try to educate them about safe sleep. Are there other things you would want our listeners to know about the data that you all collect or the projects that you have ongoing? I think it's important to know and understand that these infant deaths are completely preventable. And I think it would be important for the audience to know that they can take part in preventing these deaths by providing the education and providing the conversation to families, to parents and caregivers about the importance of safe sleep and recognizing barriers that they might have to the to practicing safe sleep with their baby and knowing where those resources are so families can access them and get the help that they need. And I definitely think it's not a one-time conversation. This is not a address it in the hospital and then forget about it. Um, you really have to do this on an ongoing basis. It's really important. What do you see as the next step for the state? Um, I believe the next step will be to continue to support our partners. And again, remember that these deaths are preventable. And as you said, this is not just a one-stop shop conversation. This is a conversation we need to continue to have. And by continuing to build on this conversation and recognize that families need to know, need to hear the information more than once and need to hear it from different trusted sources, so that way they they can feel empowered to ensure their infants are sleeping safely. It's a very important message. 
Thank you for being here with us today. We really appreciate your time and we look forward to continuing this conversation. We encourage all of our listeners to participate in our TIPKC projects. We have an ongoing project in our NICU and in our newborn nursery to develop some safe sleep education and improve our safe sleep rates across the state of Tennessee. Thank you, April. We appreciate your time. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee, presented by TIPQC. TIPQC is funded under a grant contract with the state of Tennessee. Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee is brought to you through a cooperative agreement with the Alliance for Innovation on Maternal Health. Do you have ideas for a future guest or topic, or even have a question you would like answered on upcoming episodes? Visit www.tipqc.org, that's T-I-P-Q-C.org, and click on podcast to submit suggestions and questions to our podcast team. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast to be the first to know when new episodes are available and find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube to stay in the loop with our active projects and other relevant news relating to perinatal health in Tennessee.